So on Wednesday, I realized, you know, I have procrastinated for, you know, several weeks about getting this watch battery replaced. And I thought, you know, when I, when I go out for lunch, I'm going to get a new battery for my watch. And I began, you know, just kind of looked at some of the closest places. And the place that, that I, I saw was uh, the Dakota watch thing, you know, the kiosk in Westtown Mall. You know what I'm talking about? It's right there. Uh, it's going to be, I thought, that's going to be half the price of a jewelry store, a little further than I wanted to drive for lunch, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go get this done and just knock it out, and, and they'll do it while you wait. So I, I go down to the mall. I have not been in the mall in a solid year, and I, that's not so profound because it's typically year gaps before I go, but, uh, but I hadn't been in, so I'm kind of you know going in, seeing what's new and everything, get my watch done. And I thought, well, as long as I'm here, they have the food court. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to go over and step over and get some lunch. So I walk into the food court, and don't, don't judge me, but I look over, and there's Sabaro's Pizza. I thought, okay, I know it's not the best pizza. I, I get that, but uh, you know what? It looked pretty good to me. I thought, I'm going to get a slice of pizza. Mm, I'm going to get some pizza. So I go over there, and I get, I get this big New York slice. You know, I said, yeah, give me the one that's got everything on it, and put some more, whatever you've got back there. Just put it on there, you know, and get that. And I go down to the end, and, and the, the lady who's at the register said, you know, what, what size drink do you want? And I go, ah, just give me. She goes, it's free, ref, ref, free refill on any size drink you want. I said, just give me the regular then, you know. So I got my drink. And I pick a table really close to that register because I know I'm going to get, I'm from Fraser, okay? I'm going to get the free refill, uh, whether I want it or not. I'm going to get the refill. But I thought, you know, I'm thirsty, so I'm going to do that. So I picked the closest table um, to where she was, really about as close as from here to you guys right here. So it was, it was not very far away. So I'm eating my pizza. I just get started on it. I drink my drink pretty, pretty quickly. And, you know, I look around, make sure everything's good. And then I dash over back. I just leave my, my lunch there, you know, leave my pizza there. And I go over and say, hey, I'll take that refill. Uh, no kidding, 30 seconds. I mean, how long does that take? It just, it, she just filled it up, handed it back to me. I turned around. And here's where the movie goes into slow-mo, okay? I turn around. A cleaning guy has appeared literally out of nowhere, he just appeared, and he's at my table. And here's what's happening. He's scooping my pizza into his trash can. And just as he does that, he looks up at me, and I look at him, and our eyes meet. Somewhat disappointment on mine, and a heart full of regret in his, and and, and just in that moment, you know, you ever look at somebody and just in a split second, and I look at the guy who's sitting there, still got his lunch, you know, he's eating Chipotle or something, and he looks up at me and like, mmm, dude, you know, <laughs> oh, sorry for you, you know, uh, and he sees this whole thing going on, and, you know, I'm walking toward the guy, and he says, what, were, were you done with that? I mean, it's just like this shred of hope. Yeah, yeah, just a few bites of it's really all I wanted. You know, I'm, oh my goodness, I got this Diet Pepsi here. So, you know, I, I said, yeah, yeah, that was my lunch. 
And it was just this awkward moment. We just stood looking at each other, you know, like, are we going to negotiate this or what what happens next? And he said, you know what? I'll buy you another slice. I'm so sorry I did that. I'll buy you another slice. But in that moment, I thought, you're just doing your job. And no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, this guy looks broke. No, no. I said, you know what? No. I said, I'm trying to cut back. I probably shouldn't have been eating pizza anyway. I should be over there at some salad bar again or eating an apple or whatever. But, you know, I said, I just thought, you know what? Forget about it. I said, you're doing a great job. You're doing an awesome job. And he said, people, and he's still trying to explain. He said, people leave food all the time. You wouldn't believe. They just get up and they just leave all their food. I said, I know, I get it. I bet they do. And I said, we're just so wasteful. And he said, I'm just so sorry. And I mean, he's just, I'm just feeling so in my heart. I said, you know what? Don't, don't worry about it. I said, maybe it was just that I wasn't supposed to eat that pizza. And you saved me from myself. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, so I left. And so my lunch Wednesday was half a slice of pizza and two Diet Pepsis. Uh, because I did drink the other one, and that was okay. And I got in the car, and you know, and I'm, I'm driving back here to Calvary, and the, the thought came to me: seriously, this guy appeared out of no. I, I, he wasn't there, and I had the thought: maybe he was an like a Weight Watchers angel. <laughs> I think he was. And I wanted to drive back and look around the food court and see if he just, poof, he was gone again. I thought, he's an angel. I've got an angel story <laughs> because I wasn't supposed to eat that. And he just, he just came at just the right time. Um, I was hungry the rest of the day. <laughs> sometimes God will do that for you. Sometimes, some, sometimes God removes temptation from you, but usually you have to remove yourself from the temptation. Am I right? The way it's going to typically work is nobody's going to just magically appear and, and move that or knock something out of your hand. Or you blink and you wake up and and you're on a snow-covered mountain somewhere, you know, and you think, oh, wow, that was close. Usually that's not going to happen. I thought about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. Uh, He was working for a guy named Potiphar, and if you hadn't read his story, my goodness, it's incredible. And he was just such a man of character, had so much integrity. Potiphar's wife is just hitting on him day after day after day after day. And this one day comes... And she kind of manipulates the whole scenario. You know, she gets everybody out of the house. And she gets Joseph there. You know, and he's a young guy. Probably maybe he's like 15, 20 years old, you know. And she's, uh, she wants to seduce him. And he's looking around like, where is everybody? <laughs> it's quiet. Where's that romantic music coming from? Particularly in ancient times because they didn't have a lot of romantic music. But... She just tries to trap him. And you know what he does? Guys, he runs. I mean, she's trying to pull his clothes off, and she gets his coat, and he's like, man, I love that coat, but mm, I'm not staying around. 
this guy has been so good to me and he's given me every chance. I mean, I was a slave and then I'm in prison. I mean, just all these things are happening to me. My brothers wanted to kill me. I'm not going to betray uh, this, the one friend I have who's given me this job and, and trusted me with so much. So he literally runs. And what I'm telling you is that that is not a bad strategy. In fact, that may save your life uh, down the road. This is a big idea for this message today, and we're going to wrap up this little series on temptation. We can trust that what God says about us is true. You see, because your wounded heart and your memories and your self-esteem and the whispering lies of the enemy is going to tell you something completely different about yourself than what God says about you. And out of that place, and out of that place you think, well, this is who I am, and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's, it's, you're just going to give in to temptation. So at the foundation is you've got to believe what God says about you. And the way we're going to apply that probably won't happen just in this room. I know you're probably being tempted right now to do something, but it's going to get worse this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, on down the line. Folks, this is when, when we start doubting the credibility of God's Word, we become super vulnerable to temptation. This is not just our last stand. This is our first defense. This is our only weapon. The Spirit of God in us, illuminating and making powerful the written word comes to life in and through us. I want to read you this next event, this last little thing that that happened in, in this particular moment. It wasn't the last time Jesus was tempted. He was tempted all the way through his life, even the night before he died. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's being tempted to skip the cross. He don't want to go. He don't want to do that. And he's saying, you know what? I'd just rather not do that. Let that... And the enemy had tried to get to tell him, you know what? And, and that's what this temptation is about. Why go through all that when you can just have this? Here's what it says in Luke chapter 4. Uh, I'm not sure where I began uh, with, with, your, with your... Oh, okay, verse 9. Let's start there. And he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. There's a pause as Jesus is there, and the wind is blowing his hair, and he, and he's, and he feels this, this rush of potential power. This temptation comes, comes over him as he looks down at the known world. And Jesus answered him and said, It is said... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He wasn't done. 
He's just waiting on his next move. And that's what he does with us, right? Jesus, who is, he's recently baptized, he's affirmed in every way as God's monogenes, his only begotten, his beloved son. And now he has the devil tempting him to doubt his identity. See, th- this, has been, this has been nailed down. This has come sharply into focus. We are ready to begin this public ministry, ready to go forward. And that's the place where Satan wants to make him doubt. What are you doing? Do you even know who you are? Do you really believe you're the son of God? Seriously? Here's the truth. When we lose sight of our identity in Christ, then in our heart, something is lacking. And our life is always going to be incomplete. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, but he has got you mixed up. He's lied to you. He's degraded who you think you are in Christ. I was in the foyer one day, and I had preached on, I think, just sin, just something about sin and the directness of it and the impact of it. And a guy came up and said, well, that's just, you know, we're just, I'm just a sinner. I'm just such a sinner. I'm just a sinner. And he kept saying that. And finally, I said, you're not a sinner. Stop saying that. You're, you're not a sinner who sometimes does good things. Do you understand your new identity? Do you understand that God has turned you into a brand new creature and that he says there's therefore now no condemnation towards you. He says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I said, I can go on and on and on about who he says you are. You're a saint and you sometimes sin. Absolutely. But your identity has been changed. He disagreed. He said, no, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. And he walked out repeating. I just thought, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated because I've lived so much of my life. And that's this temptation, folks. This last temptation that's recorded here in Luke chapter 4 involves another change of scenery. You know, this must have been just surreal. Uh, In the first temptation, the devil shows up in the desert, you know. And the next, he takes Jesus somewhere and he, and he, where he can see the nations of the world. And here he takes Jesus all the way up, you know, to the very top of the temple in Jerusalem. And from that vantage point, he encourages Jesus to do this absurd thing. You know what you ought to do? You ought to jump off. <laughs> I mean, you ever find yourself in a place where you would never do what you're feeling like you're about to do. I used to have some friends in high school and, and after high school, and we'd go out and we'd, I'd be with them, and I'd realize in this moment, I'm about to do something I would never do on my own. <laughs> I would never do this by myself. You know, but you've got a voice. You've got somebody saying, you know what you ought to do? You ought to do something really stupid. <laughs> you ought to jump off. You ought to jump. And there are times you're doing something and you think, this is whack. This is so crazy. I shouldn't be doing this. This doesn't make any sense. This isn't me. But I'm going to do it because somebody's telling me to do it. 
or I'd be embarrassed if I don't. But Jesus doesn't buy into that. He wants him to do this because there's this issue of what did God really say and who are you really? And you know what? He says if you're really the son of God, if you jump off and that happens, nothing's going to happen. Are you saying by not jumping, maybe you're, doubt, maybe you're not the son of God? This is all just fake? Uh, you, see the, you see the scenario? I would be so tempted to say, oh, you don't think I'm the son of God? You don't? Okay, watch this. And just say, here, I'll prove you wrong. Jesus, isn't, he's not letting Satan control the narrative. He doesn't let him set that up. Because he is the son of God. And he doesn't need all that nonsense. Satan reinforces the argument by quoting, check this out. Satan quotes scripture. He quotes uh, Psalm 91, uh, the verses 11 and 12. Sometimes you can make the Bible say what you want it to mean. <laughs> I've done that. You've done that. Look, I found a verse, a loophole. Look, God, you said right there. I can remember telling my Christian friends, I didn't know anything about the Bible. It was just such a bluff. I would say, you know what? I think the Bible never talks about this, or the Bible says this, and well, doesn't God want, you know? And it was just so thin. But it's this, it's this measure that we take. That's what Satan's doing. He's quoting Scripture to Jesus. Just how ridiculous is that? The temptation then is to see if what God says is actually true. This is a great temptation for all of us. Did, did God really say... Um, are you sure that the Bible means that? You know, it's all interpretation, right? This tactic, it's nothing new. It's what Satan used all the way back in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) It's what he used to tempt Adam and Eve uh, when they ate the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter 1. It's what he's trying to use against Jesus in this moment. It's what he will do with you. We find ourselves in these situations when we see something that we want or we face a potential experience and and we kind of have an imagination about that or a curiosity and and we want to participate. We want to step into that. There's just one problem, one problem. God says, that's sin. That's sin. And I I can't let you do that because it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt some other people. It's going to do damage. It's going to pull you further away from Christ, not deeper into Christ. So I'm going to have to say no on this. Sometimes we go, okay, I get it. I'm going to trust you. I still really want to do that, but I'm going to walk away. Sometimes we do that. (laughs) But sometimes we justify it. Right? This is where your creativity and your intellect and your flesh, it's where it all begins to come, uh, come in because we start re-examining what God has said. You know, you go back and go, well, that's a little vague, or he didn't mention that specifically, and you start playing this game, and you start, you start kidding yourself. 
And then you become very convincing. You can convince yourself and anybody else around you. Well, yeah, I know, I looked at that, but I don't think that's really what that verse means. Yeah, I think that's what it means. <laughs> Let's try another version, you know. Let's go take it back to the Greek or the Hebrew, and I think, no, it still means that. And this is where people can, you know, you just, you can twist the scripture and kind of make it mean something different. Friends, the, the tactics that the devil used on Jesus on that day are the exact same ones that he still uses on humanity all the time. All the time. But Jesus responds once again by quoting Scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Now, the Old Testament background to that is, is significant. Israel had always presumed about God's goodness. And, you know, they weren't sure. Is he going to hurt us? And every time they get into a jam, every time something doesn't go that way, they're uncomfortable, they're hurt, they're being persecuted, whatever. Who do they look at? God, God why come you? And we do that, right? Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let my grandmother die. So I'm never going to church. I'm never going to. I think, what? Wait, what? You didn't care about people dying until it happened to somebody close to you or fill in the blank, whatever the situation was. I was perfectly content to drive past hospitals and emergency rooms and funeral homes as long as it didn't affect my life. I didn't have a problem with God until it was somehow relational to me. And then I put myself in the center of the universe and I said, well, God, I'm going to choose not to believe in you anymore because this one affected me, and I am so important. It's not about all the other people. It's about me. I prayed and prayed for this, and God wouldn't let me have it. I prayed and prayed about that, and then, and then it went this way. So I'm, I'm out. I'm tapping out. I mean, just do you feel the, the, the pride, the, the arrogance, the presumption of that? Well, Israel was doing that all the time. There was one situation when the people of Israel were in the desert and they got to this place where there was no water and they were really thirsty, just, just got so thirsty. And of course, what they did is they began to whine about it and they complained to Moses. They complained with one another to the point where they began to get into arguments. You know, when you're on a road trip and you get hungry and you get irritable. Your kids start fighting and you think it's time to look for McDonald's or somewhere. You know, we got, we got to get everybody kind of refueled here. And isn't that crazy how it just changes the atmosphere? You know, everybody's like, what do we do? Oh, we just ate some French fries. Ah, I feel better. Okay, so they can't get water. So Moses goes to the Lord and he says, oh God, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do with these people. They're just, you know, here we are and you've set us free and you took us out of Egypt. And this has just been amazing. We've got all these stories and this testimony and they're so mad. And God says, okay, I understand. I tell you what, we're going to go up to this next little section and you take your staff, you hit that rock with your staff. I mean, like, okay. <laughs> and he does it and water comes out. And everybody's happy again. You know, they, they, they kind of get over that. But Moses, here's the verse I wanted you to see. It's in, uh, this is in all in Exodus 17, if you want to go back and read the details. But in verse 7, it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they 
tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, it's that whole issue of identity again. Are we God's people? We don't feel like God's people. What kind of God would lead us out here and do this to us? Is he with us or is he not? Do you see? That's the direction that that thought went. Because the devil wanted Israel to doubt their identity. He wanted Jesus to doubt his identity. He wants you to doubt your identity. And some of you do right now. And you didn't recognize, oh, I thought I was being humble. I thought I was being a martyr. I thought I was being, you know, and and the whole time God says, no, you're doubting. You're doubting who I've made you to be. Jesus refuses to demand God's protection on his own terms. He's not going to take advantage of this. There's a lesson there for us in how we respond. Who does God say you are? Jesus continually relied on Scripture, showing the truth of what Paul would later write in Ephesians uh, 6.17, where he says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon that we have in that whole passage where it talks about the armor of God, and it kind of puts it in that military, you know, that spiritual warfare kind of context So you're going to have to choose. I'm going to have to choose. Why do I believe my feelings or the circumstances more than what God has said? Your feelings are going to lie to you (laughs) Uh, again and again and again. Now, in this moment, uh, the, the devil also shows his familiarity with God's word. It doesn't mean he follows it necessarily, but he's, he, under, he gets it. And he quotes it back to Jesus. There's another truth for you, folks. We need to be on our guard against temptation that can come at us from sources that are familiar and trustworthy. Okay? This is why it's important to have a solid understanding of the Word, a really good grasp of Scripture, and this deep relationship of God with, with Him. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely going to revolutionize the way you face and the way you handle temptation and the consequences of what happens from that moment forward. When I was a really young Christian... Uh, somebody told me to memorize these pieces of Scripture, these verses. And um, we were in children's ministry, and we had them to memorize verses along with the, with the alphabet, with A, B, C, D. Still remember so many of those. It's such a good hook. Uh, there was one man, he said, I want you to memorize it. And I was doing that okay. You know, we were doing passages, and we would do them together and, and kind of test each other. And a guy came along and said, I think you need to memorize Romans chapter 6. And I said, which verse? He said, no, Romans chapter 6. I go, I don't remember a chapter. <laughs> he said, oh, you've memorized all kinds of other things. 
He said, you know every word of every Led Zeppelin song. I think you can do this. <laughs> I think, I think you, can, you can handle this. I can't tell you how many times in my life when I have been in a moment about to lean into something I know is sinful, when Scripture, the Holy Spirit says, oh, we've got, some, we've got a sword now. I've got something to use for you to combat this. It's just so important. Jesus's, check it, Jesus's response to temptation isn't just a map of, you know, generally here's how we should respond. It illustrates this important truth for our faith. You know, in, in Luke chapter 3, the chapter just before this, after being called the Son of God publicly in verse 22, Jesus is then called in verse 38, the Son of Adam. So you, you have this, you know, th- this humanity and this deity that's mentioned. And here's the point. What Adam failed to do in his relationship with God when he faced temptation, Jesus succeeded in doing. He is our perfect representative. When God looks at you, he doesn't see Adam. He sees Jesus. Times I've listened to to preachers and they'll say, if you forget everything else I say, remember this. Well, I'm going to pick that tagline up and, and use it. If you forget everything else I say, remember this. When God looks at us, he doesn't see Adam anymore. If you're in Christ, that's what he sees. He sees Jesus. That's going to change your life. He sees the one who did not give in to temptation, but instead lived this perfect sinless life. He is the righteousness of Jesus in you. And there's your secret weapon. There's your strength. There's your power. So finally, in seeing this temptation, I just want to remind you one one more time that being tempted is not a sin. Okay, don't let him load you down with false guilt. Jesus, you know, Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you've been tempted. But his situation was different because he got through it without sin. But he did face the temptation. He felt that same urge. He felt that same feeling, that desire, that pull. He understands. But he didn't follow through with a sinful action. I mean, he faced temptation for 40 days You know, chapter 4, verse 2 says, for 40 days he was in this situation. And that doesn't mean that he was a sinner. No, he was just being tempted. It revealed his human nature in addition to his divine nature. Be encouraged. When you face temptations, and you will, You're going to go through something that Jesus also went through. And you can be guided by how he faced it. And you can remember your standing in God is just as secure because of the work of Christ in redemption. You have that same ability to resist. 
understand sometimes you don't feel that. Don't worry about your feelings. Just do the next right thing. Have the word in your heart. Watch what God does and the victory that he brings into your life. You're going to feel so free. You're going to be so freed up. You're going to live in such liberty, such liberty and abandonment. No more bondage. None of that. We want to close out our time of worship today by taking communion together. It's one of the most beautiful sacraments that God left for us through Christ at the Last Supper. And I love this. And I love that we we do it fairly often here. And I love that as we've been able to move out of the pandemic slowly and stumbly, but moving forward, we've been able to incorporate this back into our public worship. So we're going to invite you in just a moment just to, to get up out of your pew, to come forward. We have these specially designed elements uh, these are sealed and they're sanitized, been sanitized. I always trip up on, on that. But there's a wafer here that represents the body of Christ. Uh, there's a juice here uh, that represents the, the wine, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And we'll ask you, you can take this back to your seat. You can uh, use these steps. You can go anywhere in the room you like. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to do this together. We're going to let you do it individually as well. Let's do that now. Father, we ask for your blessing, and we ask that you'd make us strong against temptation. We know that in so many ways you already have because you're living within us, and you've given us your word. I pray that we would be powerful in this area of our experience of you and the dangers and the the stumbling blocks and, and dark places in life. Thank you for protecting us and loving us. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. Thank you for the security that we have in our identity in Christ. Amen.